We are in John chapter 21, and I want to read to you this moment from the life of Jesus. We'll pray and then be able to talk about it together, but I'm going to read the whole moment at the beginning. If you don't have a Bible, they're going to put it on the screen, so you'll be okay, but John chapter 21, starting in verse 1, we'll read, pray, and then dive in. And says this, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. And when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon said of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I said to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show him by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who had been reclining at table close to him and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what's that to you? You follow me. Let me pray for us. Father, I want to thank you for these few minutes around your word. Thank you for everybody here, God, the people that just showed up and couldn't wait to sing and celebrate and cheer for you and the people who that does not describe them at all. But you brought them here. And I'm just so grateful that you've given us all this moment together to think about you, to see what you're like, and by your grace, God, to engage with you. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would answer the prayer we sang earlier, God, that that our hearts would be open before you. For some of us, that's a deeply comforting thing. For others, that's that's a terrifying thing. And yet, God, we pray that we would see you 
you would see us and there would be a beautiful, honest connection between you and us today. And I can't generate that. We're asking you to. And I'm gonna ask you if you're willing to take a moment and ask him. You pray and say, God, please teach me something this morning. And then if you would, please pray for me that the Lord would speak through me and I would be helpful to you. Well, Father, we love you and we trust you. Use this time. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I was not a Disney kid growing up. In fact, the first time I ever saw a Disney movie was in high school. Uh, I broke my femur and was laid up for a few weeks, and the lady taking care of me decided we were going to have a Disney day, and we watched like three in a row, which I don't know what your Disney threshold is. Mine was about three uh, until it started to feel like all those little singing animals were conspiring to steal my sanity. Uh, So it wasn't until a couple years later that I saw one in a theater, uh, and it was The Lion King. Uh, Do you remember that moment? Well, I'm about to spoil the plot. Is everyone okay with that? Has it been long enough? You remember when the king lion fell down and, and he's not getting up, he died? I remember I'm sitting there watching that and in the row in front of me, there's a little boy and his dad and I watched the little boy's face turn up and go, why isn't he getting up, daddy? And I was like, okay, that's the saddest thing I've ever heard. I'm like, Disney, why? Why do this to children, right? But you know what was even more memorable to me than that? Do you remember in the movie, the, the young lion Simba's response when he saw what happened? Now, the reality is there were bigger forces at play in the death of his father, but the truth was his choice to willfully disobey his father contributed to that horrible chaos. Do you remember that? And do you remember what happened to him when he realized that, when he saw the damage that he had done? Do you remember his response? He ran and lived a totally different life. Now, was it a life of crime and he suddenly became the worst lion ever? No. He went off and made some buddies, little warthog, Kuna Matata and all that. But he was miles from where he was supposed to be. And he tucked away and just surrounded himself with little distractions to try to wall out the shame. And meanwhile, he abandoned a world that desperately needed him to engage. Now, why tell you that? Because I haven't been in ministry all that long. And I got to tell you something. I see this all the time. I talk to people that say, I was walking with God at some level, at some point in life, I was into the things of God and then something happened and now I'm over here. And I'm not the worst human being you've ever met, but I'm, I'm just here now. Like I remember talking with a guy once that was drunk and uh, when he found out what I did for a living, he went, man, I used to be in young life. And then he looked down at himself. Like what happened? I remember going to the mall once and I was at a luggage store buying some stuff because I was about to go on a trip overseas. And the lady checking me out was like, "Uh, are you going on a trip? And I said, yeah, I'm going to Venezuela on a mission trip. And as soon as I said mission trip, she goes, oh, we used to love it. And then she cut herself off, broke eye contact, never looked at me again and said, yeah, my brother still does stuff like that. And it was like, you could see this wall of shame crash into her that, yeah, I used to be about the things of God and something happened and And now I'm I'm just kind of here. Forget other people. I think about my own life. I don't know about you, but I grew up going to camp as a kid. And at my camp, the first couple days, man, everyone lived crazy. They were smoking, drinking 40s. Very not good, right? 
But I remember on the last night of camp, man, everybody got saved, right? And after a few days of just lack of sleep and malnutritious food, everyone was a bit more emotionally volatile. And the music would get us all fired up and the preacher would get us dialed up. And by the end of the service, everyone's crying, like and pinkies to get friends of friends forever. And at my camp, right when we got to the emotional pitch, it was open mic night. And one after one, we would get up there and kids would go, I just want you all to know, I just got saved. And we're like, didn't he get saved last year? And you're like, don't interrupt him. He's having it. And you're like, okay, okay. But for most of us, what we would do is we would get up there and make these big promises of what we were going to do for God met with hearty affirmations from the crowd. So we get up there and go, I just want you to know, I'm never going to sin again. And they're like, I don't think he is. He's had such a good week here at camp. I think it's over for him. Someone else will get up and be like, I'm going to tell everyone in the universe about Christ. You know, he is prophesying right now, right? And on and on it would go. And yet there wasn't a one of us that two weeks later hadn't broken every promise. And we'd be in our bedrooms surrounded by the same addictions, looking at ourselves and going, what's wrong with me? And maybe there's those kids out there that can just kind of fly around with Jesus, but I guess I'm just not one of those. So I'm not going to be the worst human being you've ever met, but I'm just going to carve out a little existence over here and just be, I don't know, somebody. My question for you this morning is, what does God think of you? What does God think of you when you're an absolute failure? Well, that's where we're going this morning. So welcome. And we're doing it by looking at the life of Peter. Peter, many of you know, was one of the first followers of Jesus, one of his disciples. And Peter was the one that was kind of all heart, half mind. You know what I'm talking about? Like a ready, fire, aim kind of guy, which is not the worst kind of person to be. It makes a good fullback, you know, I mean, football. You don't need a fullback that's trying to think it all through. You just put your head down and go. And that was Peter. So when Peter asked his disciples at that pivotal moment, who do you say I am? Peter was the only one that stepped forward and said, I think you're the Christ. I think you're the son of God. That's right, Peter. But he was the guy minutes later that when Jesus said, now I'm going to the cross to die for you for your sin, Peter pulled him aside and rebuked him. Like, don't you talk like that? And Jesus had to tell him that's not really how this relationship works. Like you don't rebuke the Messiah. And on the night Jesus was betrayed, Jesus asked Peter, will you pray with me? And out in that garden, Peter kept falling asleep until finally that mob came to arrest Jesus with torches and swords and all that. Do you remember when Peter woke up what he did? It said he pulled out his fishing knife to go to war with them, pulled out his knife. The irony of that is Luke tells us they had two swords with them and he pulls out his fishing knife like he's gonna go to war with an army. He's like, get behind me, Messiah, right? You remember he tries to kill one guy and just gets his ear He tries to end him and hits a lobe. He's just not an organized guy. (laughs) Jesus tells him to knock it off. And they arrest Jesus and they haul him away to that courtyard. Peter follows at a distance. And do you remember as he sees them mock and shame Jesus? There in front of his whole social circle, with all the adrenaline sapped out, he sees them all reject him. And in that context, someone comes up to Peter Aren't you with that guy? No, no, I don't know him. You sure? Because you kind of sound like him. I think you were with that guy. No, I don't know him. Are you sure? Because I thought I saw you with him. No, I don't know him. And just to make sure people know he's not one of those Jesus people, he starts to curse again like a sailor. 
And you remember the gospels tell us that not only did that rooster crow, it says that Jesus looked right at Peter. Do you remember Peter's response? He ran and he cried. So there's a lot of shame in Peter when we approach him in this text this morning. And yet the passage begins and it says, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the sea of Tiberias. Now what's this? This is the death, burial, and then resurrection of Jesus. He doesn't stay dead. And then he starts appearing to people and showing up, but he's doing it quickly and it's mysterious. So there's excitement. Jesus beat death, but confusion, what's going on? And in that context, Mark tells us in Mark 16, an angel comes to the women and says, go tell the disciples and Peter, he wants to meet you at the Sea of Galilee. And I think the angel threw in that and Peter, because I don't think Peter would have gone otherwise. I think he would have felt like he's not invited anymore. And yet they show up there, and in verse 3 it says, when they get there, Simon Peter says to them, I'm going fishing. Now commentators divide on the significance of that. Some people say they're just killing time and did it for fun. But you read later, they fished all night. You don't fish all night for fun. So some people said maybe they did it to earn a little money. And it's like, no, you got to see who's talking and what they just said. This is Peter saying, I'm going fishing. So like if I went home this afternoon and said the sentence to my wife, hey, I am going to play basketball. She'd get a vision in her mind of me going down to the local park and doing my best to get that ball into that hoop, right? And she'd be right. But some of us were alive. Do you remember Michael Jordan? After that unfortunate little foray into baseball, held a press conference and said the same sentence. I am going to play basketball. And nobody in that moment said, like with your kids? What are you talking about, Mike? They knew what he was saying. This is Michael Jordan playing basketball. This is career move. This is Peter, lifelong fisherman like his dad. That's where he lived right up until the moment Jesus got a hold of his life and said, I got a different life for you now, Peter. You're a fisher of men with me. But Peter rejected him. So Peter shows up there with the boys and he gets there and he goes, guys, I'm just, I'm going fishing. And the text says, and they said to him, we'll go with you. Peter's a leader and his decisions influence. You are too, by the way. You know that, right? I talk to people all the time that when they make a decision to do something particularly destructive in their life, they say, it's just my life. It's never just your life. You influence people. I remember for me when I was in high school, uh, my freshman year, a group of juniors decided to do a Bible study with me and these other freshman guys. And it was just mind blowing to us that these upperclassmen wanted to hang out with us. And they would sit and do this little Bible study with us. And we're like, this is insane. And it was amazing. And so the next year when we were sophomores, they were seniors. We're like, we can't wait for this to kick back up. It's going to be insane. But they never called us. We're like, what's going on? What we found out months later was it was their senior year, man. So they wanted to party, sleep around, have a blast, right? And they just punted the whole Bible study thing. And let me tell you something. There were some little sophomore guys that never never really recovered from that. And I talked to folks that when they struggle with things, they say, this is my struggle, this is my life. It's never just your life. People watch you. And Peter's a leader. And he says, I'm going fishing. And they go too. And yet it says they went out and got into that boat. But that night they caught nothing. Now that's God's doing. That's God in love jacking with his kids. <laughs> he does it all the time. What's he just going to let him go? Whoops. Uh. Would you? 
You see your little nephew wandering out into the street? Oh, well, all right. Is there another one around here? No. You go grab him. Even if the grabbing hurts. And some of you, God's coming for you this morning. And the reason you know, the way you know he's coming for you is because often he begins by complicating things. The way you're living your life is not working. And so that night they caught nothing. But verse four says, but just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. I love that. He's coming for them. He moves towards Peter. But then it says, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Now, why didn't they know? They've been walking with him for years. Was he too far away? It says he was a hundred yards off. Was it just that they didn't recognize him? Like resurrection, he's the one that still bears his scars. Was he just unrecognizable? Was it just disbelief? It can't be him. We saw him die. Why don't they recognize Jesus? Well, I think honestly, and I think I'm biblical in saying this, I think it's because of Jesus's sense of humor. Because what you see in many of Jesus's post-resurrection appearances, he's messing with people. You see it one chapter before with Mary Magdalene. She shows up at the tomb and Jesus isn't there. So she starts crying, right? And then it says, Jesus walks up to her and says, why are you crying? He knows why she's crying. And then he says, who are you looking for? He knows who she's looking for. And then she says, well, I'm looking for Jesus. I can't find him. And she starts having this conversation with him. And you're reading it going, what is going on here? And John tells you what's going on. He says, she thought he was the gardener. Why did she think he was the gardener? I'll tell you what he wasn't doing. He wasn't floating down to her going, Mary. And she's like, I guess the gardener's float around here. I can't find him. That's not it. He's probably messing with some bushes. Like, hey, why are you crying, right? And he gives it a few minutes. And then he's like, Mary. She's like, Jesus, right? Like, why'd he do that? Or you see in the gospel of Luke, two of his disciples are leaving Jerusalem walking. And it says he walked up to them and they were prevented from seeing who he is. And he walks up to him and says, hey, what are you guys talking about? And they said, are you the only person in Jerusalem that doesn't know these things? And he says, what things? And so they start telling him about his own death, burial, and resurrection. And the whole time he's like, but wasn't that to fulfill scripture? And he starts unpacking the Bible, never telling who he is. And then it says they get to their destination and it says he pretended to walk further. He's like, I guess I'll see you cats later and starts to walk off. And they're like, you want to come to dinner with us, man? And he waits until the moment where he prays and breaks bread. And then he's like, dudes, it's me and disappears. So they run the seven miles back to Jerusalem, go to the upper room and see the other disciples. And they go, we just saw Jesus. He's back from the dead. He walked with us for seven miles and never told us who he was. That was kind of weird. But then anyway, then he told us and disappeared. And while they're explaining that story, it says Jesus shows up in their midst, doesn't walk through a door, disappears, scares the lights out of them. They think it's a ghost or something. And he terrifies them by saying, peace be with you. And then he says, do you have any fish? And he starts eating fish. We call that an internal proof in the Bible. What that means is it's a part of the story that tells you this has to be true because no one would make that up. I'm back from the dead. Is that salmon? Can I jump in on that? And here in this moment, and if you've got an NIV, the NIV is a great translation of the Bible, but it's out here. It says he calls them brothers or something. He doesn't call them brothers. He calls them the word for, for a kid, the diminutive form of a boy. And then he asks them a question in a way that assumes a negative answer. Literally, Jesus stands on the shore and says, little boys, you don't have any fish, do you? And I love their answer. It says, and they answered him, no. 
you can feel the frustration. And he says to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it. Now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Now, some of you hear that and you go, I've heard this story before. No fish, switch sides, a bunch of fish. I've heard this. Well, maybe you've heard this one. Maybe you've heard it in Luke chapter five because this isn't the first time Jesus did this miracle. He does it here in this moment and he did it one other time. It was the moment when he first called Peter to walk with him. And I love the way the movie Jesus of Nazareth does it. I don't know if you're into Jesus movies. I love the Jesus of Nazareth one because in this moment you just get to see the frustration of Peter in that early moment. He gets out of the boat after having fished all night and his brother comes up and says, hey, let's go back out. And Jesus says, why don't we go for a catch? And he's like, I'll tell you why. Because I just fished all night and caught nothing. Like, no, let's just go back out there. And he's like, this is the biggest waste of time. And he gets out there. He's so annoyed by the whole thing. And he's trying to fish. He's like, see, there's no fish out here. And Jesus is like, hey, why don't you switch sides of the boat? And Peter's like, oh, switch sides? That's the secret of fishing. What do you do for a living again? You're a carpenter? Then keep telling me how to do this. Seriously, Nathaniel, is this real? And he's so frustrated. Right up until the moment he does it. And he can't even haul in the net of fish. And I love that moment because you see in Peter's reality that God just stepped into my boat. And do you remember what happened when that landed on Peter? When his heart is open and nothing is hidden, what did he do? It says he hit his knees and he said, get away from me. I'm not a good person. And do you remember Jesus' response? He said, no. No, you're mine now. And I have a whole new life for you and you're coming with me. And don't miss this. In the moment of Peter's deepest shame, Jesus recreates that miracle. It's a message to Peter. It's a message to you. If you feel like you're a long way off, he's telling Peter and he's telling you the relationship is still here. The door is still open. I love you. You may feel that you've wandered, but I'm still right here. And so he tells Peter, the same relationship that I opened years ago is still right here on the other end of your shame. Peter, I want you, brother, to be here with me. That's why John says to Peter, it's the Lord. This isn't Matthew's tax collecting booth. It's not Nathaniel's fig tree. It's for you, Peter. He's calling you. And I love Peter's response, and I'm hoping it'll be some of yours today. It's when he heard it was the Lord, he put out his outer garment and threw himself into the sea. He does a full forest gump, just Jedi, and just goes for it. (laughs) And he moves towards Jesus, even in his shame, not away. And I'm praying that's what some of you will do. You move towards him because he's coming for you. And I love the way they respond. Well, let me say this before I move on. No, actually, let me move on. Hang on, sorry. I I love John's response. Sorry, I'm just reading this. I'm like, yeah, I love John's response. When John writes in verse seven, he says, "Uh, when Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, about a hundred yards off. It's like you hear the little competitiveness with the disciples. He's like, the rest of us just kind of rode three times. And we're like, come on, Peter, you can do it. I just let him do it. It's fine. Swimming there. But it says in verse nine, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire. Remember that? In place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. 
I love that there's already fish there. <laughs> it's like he doesn't need theirs, but he invites them to be a part of it anyway, right? And in verse 12, he says to them, come and have breakfast. After you fail, after that thing you swore you would never do, after you do it again, in that moment, how does Jesus come to you? How does the Son of God treat you in your shame? Does he scream at you? Some of you think he does. Is that what he does here? Say, hey, get out of that boat! Some of you think he talks to you that way. Some of you have a voice of condemnation screaming in your head and you attribute that voice to God and it's time to stop that. That's not how he treats his wayward sons and daughters. He's gentle. He cooks them breakfast. That's an invitation to fellowship. Sit at my table and have a meal with me. How does Jesus treat you in your shame? He's gracious. He's gracious. Are you feeling hopeless? Hope has a name, and it's Jesus. And he is gentle with his wayward children. The truth is, I I don't know how much Peter ate. Because he shows up there and it says, Jesus had made a charcoal fire. Now, there's a lot of fires in the Bible. There's fire all over the place in the Bible. Not a lot of charcoal fires. Actually, there's only two. There's this one that Jesus made. And the other one was a few chapters earlier. It's the one Peter was warming himself around when he said, I don't know him. And so Jesus recreates the moment of relationship. He says, I want you to know, Peter, I love you. And then Jesus takes him back to the wound and says, but we've got to deal with this, Peter. And that's how he treats us. I love you. We've got to work on this. If he didn't pick it up with the charcoal fire, he certainly picked it up in verse 15. It says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, never called him that. Only in the most serious moments. It's like when your mom used your full name, right? Benjamin Clayton Stewart. I gotta go, boys. Why? I don't know, but it's bad. (laughs) Simon said to John, do you love me more than these? Now commentators divide on who the these are because of the grammar. Some people say it's the disciples because on the night Jesus was betrayed, Peter told Jesus, hey, all these other monkeys might abandon you. I won't. And in this moment, some think Jesus is looking at him saying, do you really think you love me more than these other people? Like you, Peter, got the juice to pull off great things for me. That's not how it works, man. It's all of grace. Other people look at this and the grammar allows for it and say, it's, it's the fish. And Jesus is saying, what do you want more, man? You gonna just pursue economic security and comfort and that's it? There's more, Peter. What do you love more? You love me more than these. I don't know which it is. Grammar allows for both. Part of me thinks maybe Jesus just pointed at a disciple eating some fish. Like, do you love me more than these? And just kind of covered all of it. I don't know. <laughs> but he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. 
And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And he said, feed my sheep. Why is Jesus doing that? Is he being cruel? I used to think he was. Peter, do you love me? Yeah. You sure? Because it didn't sound like it a couple nights ago. Let's run it again. Do you love me? I thought he was just rubbing Peter's failure into his face. But I don't think that anymore. And it's not because I just don't want that to be true. It's because I studied the text. If Peter wanted to rub it in his face, or Jesus wanted to rub it in Peter's face, what, what would he have done? He'd have pointed backwards. Let's talk about what you were doing back there, brother. Where does Jesus point? Forward. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Okay, Peter, then feed my sheep. He's trying to move Peter on. He's trying to save Peter's life. Because if Jesus doesn't go and address this wound, what happens to Peter? Every time the rooster crows in the morning, it's a declaration to Peter. You're a loser. You're a loser. And that shame could have dominated Peter's story his evaluation of himself, like for many of you, some shameful things in your past has dominated your narrative and Jesus wants that to stop. Jesus is talking about this moment. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. I know you do, brother. Then let's move on. Let's move on. Let's go forward, Peter. Yes, you failed. Yes, I saw it. Yes, we heard it. All of us did, Peter, but I love you. Do you love me? I know you do. Okay, then let's move on. Now, Peter, feed my sheep. The reality is there's a world that's hurting out there, Peter, and I need you to engage. And so Jesus takes him to the moment of relationship to give him a place of safety, to ask the questions, to struggle. And in that context, say, I love you. Now in that love, let's deal with this. And he touches Peter's wound. Why? So he can heal it. I remember when I broke my femur, I was laying in that hospital bed and my doctor came in who was a wonderful, large man. And I remember he walked in and he said, we're gonna have to move you to the hospital downtown to have some experts take care of this. It's serious. I said, okay. He said, the ambulance is on his way. The problem is, he says that your leg is too far out. I'm gonna have to partially set it right now. And I said, are you gonna knock me out? He said, no. I said, is it gonna hurt? He said, yes. And I remember as he said that, nurses began to file in behind him and hold me down. And I was like, what are y'all doing? And he, he took my foot and put it under his arm and he jumped back and hit my leg, which was interesting because (laughs) you think you would scream, you know, but it was so painful. uh, I just went, and then just started sweating profusely. And I was like, is that, uh, are you done? Because I'm going to, I'm going to pass out. Okay. (laughs) But you know what I didn't do? I didn't go, the leg, really? You had to go there? That's the place of hurt in me, doc. Why did you put your hand there? Why don't you put your hand on my shoulder? I like my shoulder. Why do you have to touch the knee, right? I understood that he went to the place of wounding, why? So he could heal it, so I could be free. 
And for some of you, maybe you're scared to come to Christ because it's gonna hurt and that's why he comes first off and says, I want you to know it's an offer of relationship and I love you, but then we're gonna deal with this place of wounding for you. It's a place in your childhood, place in your past, place last week, addiction you're in. We're gonna talk about this and yeah, it's gonna be maybe public with some other people around. It's gonna be maybe a bit painful, but I'm wounding you so I can heal you. I'm setting you free. Because the reality is, Jesus says, Peter, look out at the world. They're sheep. That's not a compliment. You've all heard this. Sheep are are dumb animals, right? Sheep will like die of dehydration, feet from water, because they can't see it. Just lay down and die. It's right there. They just don't know that. They have no natural defenses. They can't run fast. They don't have quills. They can't even do, lizards can go, that red thing comes out and you're like, I don't, I don't want to get involved in that. I don't know what that is. <laughs> Sheep have nothing. They're nature's victim. They're just, ah, that's all they have. <laughs> and Jesus says, look at the world, Peter. Man, look at the world. Look at, look at your junior high. Look at our high schools. Look, look, at, look at the city and see how much pain there is. Just Pray every morning over the newspaper. Pray over wherever you get news and just see how broken and sad this world is and how many awful dark places people go for comfort that's not working for them. See the darkness, feel it, and see their sheep wandering without a shepherd. Jesus looks at the world and says, they're sheep, Peter, they're sheep. And I don't want you, one of my people, to just curl up in a little cocoon of shame because you failed and neglect those sheep. Peter, come to me. I love you. Peter, let's deal with the wound. Let's heal it. Why? Because there's sheep out there, Peter, and I I want you to engage. And some of you, it's been so long. Maybe you've found a way to sit back in places like this, but you can be safe here to not talk about some hard things. And you've let some difficult things in your life keep you from getting involved. And the truth is a children's ministry needs you to get involved. Truth is some junior high kids need to hear you say, I've been there and that is hard and it's okay to cry. Some high school kids need to hear you give them some perspective. No, you're not brilliant, but you've been where they've been and you love them. And you know Jesus. And don't let the shame of your past keep you from being involved in God's future because he has sheep and he wants you to tend them. And that's what he's doing. He's setting Peter free. And then he tells him, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. When you're old, you'll stretch out your hands, go where you don't want to go. By this, he told him what kind of death he was to glorify God. I love that. We're all going to die. Every one of us. The death rate's the same, one per person, right? And yet Jesus tells Peter, Peter, your death is gonna glorify me. Man, I hope that's true in my life, right? Yours too. He says, Peter, I'm not gonna let you get caught up in that. Peter, I'm setting you free to glorify me by loving my sheep. That's awesome. What a way to go. And so he ends by telling him, so Peter, you follow me. Peter does what a lot of us do. Well, what about that? What about that guy? What does Jesus say? He says the same thing your mama did when she confronted you and your siblings were fighting. Well, he did this. Da, 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 da. I'm talking to you about you. You follow me. And some of you might be sitting here and go, well, I want to walk with Jesus, but, but my husband, hey man, you follow me. And you begin to pray for him. 
Well, I want to walk with Jesus, but my dad, my parents say, you follow me. Well, I want to walk with Jesus, but my social circle, hey, you follow me. Walk with me out of the shame, into the relationship, into healing, into God's glorious future of tending to a sheep until that wonderful day where your death glorifies God and you step into forever with him, our wonderful king who loves us.